Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. such a privilege to be here. You know, my, my passion for, for giving and for sowing into the ministry, into, into the church, really just flows out of an encounter with Jesus. You know, God gave me his best, and he only asked for a little bit in return. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> right? That's awesome. Why don't we thank these guys and the um, awesome worship team. Uh, a few weeks ago, my senior pastor, Martin Webb, was here, and he was raving about how great this worship team was, and I think he undersold it. You guys, that's amazing. You guys are so blessed to have uh, such an incredible worship team here. I just want to thank Pastor Phil, Pastor Julie for inviting me, the awesome pastors, such great friends of our church, and personally, I just want to thank you for trusting me. Um, you know, who knows money it can get a bit controversial in the church, so to have someone else come and talk about it, <laughs> that's a huge level of trust. So I just really appreciate that. I just want to honor you guys. Um, you got an amazing property here too. I was standing out there on the balcony. I thought I was in the Hunter Valley. And there's, he said there's not enough. There's no wine yet. Not yet. New wine in Jesus' name. Just get lots of water. <laughs> Why don't I pray and then I'm going to get into the message this morning that I've got for us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're present here. Thank you that you want to open our hearts to receive not just information, but revelation. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at the scriptures, as we share a moment together, that you would open our imaginations to see what it is that you want us to see, that we would have ears that are open to hear what it is you want us to hear, that we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I've got my beautiful wife here, Rachel. She is pregnant with baby number four. So I had to recently hand in my man card and drive away with a Kia Carnival. (laughs) So I think it's an upgrade, though, because previously I was driving a Mazda Metro. So (laughs) I'm moving up in the world. But uh, it's awesome to be here. We started our our, our, our brand-new campus last week in Madawi, Port Stephens. And uh, so we're excited about that. We've got an afternoon session up there, believing for for God to move. Um, Just a a little bit of a brag on Jesus. Can I brag on Jesus for a moment? I noticed some awesome people setting up the chairs this morning. The venue that we're renting for our campus, the the owners of the venue said that because of WHS, we're not allowed to set the chairs up, they'll do it for us. (laughs) Who knows that's only Jesus, right? (laughs) Since when does red tape work in your favor? So uh, we're excited about that, and, uh, but I'm excited about this this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, I'm going to jump in and out of the Scriptures this morning. I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. In the, in the Scriptures here, we see Jesus talking about the harvest, and he says, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And the first thing that really jumps out to me is the fact that Jesus sees things differently to the way I see things. He's saying the way you're looking at the harvest is different to the way I'm looking at the harvest. I look and I see that it's plentiful, whereas you're looking and you're thinking, oh, the harvest is a bit lean. We think, oh, there's not many souls coming in. And he says there's not many laborers going out. Same thing we're looking at, but he sees it so differently. And I started praying about this in our church, just wanted to, well, if he says pray for, for laborers, it's a, it's a good idea to know what a laborer looks like, right? So that when one walks through the door, I can thank God for answered prayer, yeah? And so what is a laborer? And there's a lot of laborers in the Bible. Timothy is mentioned a lot. Guys like Clement, Justice, Priscilla, not the one of the desert, a different one, <laughs> Aquila, all these heroes... But I thought, well, is there one church that's characterized as a church full of laborers? Wouldn't it be awesome to find a church that the whole church was actually characterized as laborers? And if that church exists, they could be a model for us. And I found just one, just one church. In the whole of the New Testament, there's only one church that actually fits the description as being laborers, which I find amazing. And you can turn in Philippians chapter 4. Paul's writing to the church, he says, you're the only one, you're the only one that entered into the partnership of giving and receiving. Even when I went to Thessalonica, you, you sent from here to there your gifts to empower my ministry. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again, more than once. They were the only church that actually entered into something he called partnership. Now, throughout the rest of the New Testament, that Greek word, Quinonia is often translated fellowship. It's the same word used when we're told to enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That he didn't just enter into partnership like a colleague. Have you ever introduced a colleague and it feels a bit clinical? This is my colleague. As opposed to, this is my friend, we work together. It's really different, right? He's saying, you didn't just enter into co-working with me, you entered into fellowship with me. They're the only church that took their, their partnership to a relational level of intimacy and love, where they actually loved Paul enough to join in on what God was doing in his life. And I reckon that's the kind of partnership I want to be. That's the kind of partner I want to be in what God is doing. And so I wanted to look at what made the Philippians so different. You know, action, says James, is the evidence of belief. You can talk the talk, but I'll look at what you do and that'll tell me what your faith is like, he says. Action is the evidence of belief. So we can look at the actions of the Philippians and determine the belief system they had that set them apart from every other church that caused them to become great laborers in the kingdom of God. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. A great, great scripture on giving. It says, we want you to know, brothers... Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's trying to encourage them, and he wants to show them an example of what these laborers look like to, to spur them on, to, to encourage them, to, to sort of almost like say, come up here a bit. You're living there, check out what these guys are doing, you can become like them. He says, we, wanna, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which is the Philippians, for in severe test of affliction... 
right? Not out of, not out of severe lottery winnings, <laughs> right? Out of severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, which was clearly not linked to their circumstance, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When's the last time you begged earnestly for the favor of giving in an offering? You turn up to church late and the offering's already gone past. Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Phil, please, please, please. Where's the bucket gone? Please let me give. Anyone? <laughs> a couple. Awesome. You're telling the truth. You've got a church full of givers. But to plead earnestly out of poverty. They didn't plead earnestly out of wealth and abundance and think, well, I've got so much, I really want to give. I've just had a great windfall. I want to give. I've just sold a house or made a great business deal. I, I want to give. It was out of extreme poverty. The joy that they had out of the relationship with Christ overflowed in a sense that they begged to give. But notice the language. It says they begged earnestly for the favor. They saw giving different. The same way Jesus saw the harvest differently to the way we often see it, the Philippians saw giving differently to the way we see it. We see giving often as a, as a choice or a routine or a responsibility or, or a, you know, a have to sometimes. They saw it as a get to. They saw it as a favor, that they were the privileged ones being able to give. And so we have moved the offering, as, as Pastor Phil said, to the end of the service, primarily because if I was going to preach on forgiveness, I'd have an altar call for forgiveness, right? If I preached on healing, I'd, I'd want to have an altar call for healing. So I want to preach on giving, and I've asked if we can have an altar call for giving, right? Which looks like an offering. Is that okay? Because I don't want anyone to think, oh, they had the offering, and then he preached on giving, and now I've changed my mind, Right? <laughs> And I don't want anyone to feel like this is condemning in any way. I want this to be empowering. And so I've asked for permission to move the offering. So I appreciate that. So three things. Everyone say three things. three things. Three things that I believe the Philippians must have known in order to live the way that they lived. Number one, God is a giver. God is a giver. Does anyone here want to be like Jesus? You know when you read the scriptures and you see Jesus walk on water, you're like, oh, I want to be like Jesus. You see Jesus heal a blind man, you think, oh, I want to be like Jesus. You see Jesus, you know, say to the, 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 the bread and the, the, the fish, just be multiplied, and it feeds the 5,000, you say, oh, I want to be like Jesus. And you see Jesus go to the cross, and you think, thank you for Jesus. <laughs> right? If I want to be like Jesus, I've got to be like all of him. I can't just pick and choose the comfortable, glamorous parts if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to shape my whole life to look like him, to be conformed to the image of the Son. And so God is a giver, which means if God is a giver, I need to be a giver. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, God loved and so he gave. Action is the evidence of belief. God loved us, and so he demonstrated his love. This is how we know what love is, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so we know the love of God because we see the love of God 
on the cross. He loved, so he gave. But notice the link here. He loved, so he gave, so that. So that people could be saved. It wasn't just frivolous, pointless, purposeless giving. It was linked to his mission to see people come home. See, whenever God gives, it's always attached to his mission. You can give in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places right around the planet. You can give to someone on the street. You can give to a favorite charity. You can give into all kinds of things. There's plenty of people asking for money. But real gospel-centered generosity is always attached to the mission because that's what God's heart is attached to. And if I want to be like God, I've got to give like God. I want to give into the things that He gives into. And I want to give with the same motivation that He gives. He's motivated by love, but He was directed towards His mission. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave. Right? In order to imitate the one we claim we want to follow, we have to walk in love. See, love has to be the motivation. It says walk in love, and the evidence of Jesus walking in love that he loved us is that he gave himself. See, I believe that you can, you can give without loving. You can give to anybody without loving them. You just put your hand in your pocket, just there you go. I can give without loving. But I believe it's impossible to love without giving. For God so loved that he gave. Imitate Christ who loved us and gave. It's impossible. You have a marriage. Imagine being married to someone and never giving yourself to them. That's, that's not love. It's impossible to love somebody without giving yourself to them. I think the Philippians had figured that out. They, they wanted to imitate God. And so they figured out that if I'm going to be like him, I need to give of myself the way he gives of himself even to the point of sacrifice, even to the point where it hurts a little bit, but to give into the mission of God. So number one, God is a giver. Number two, giving is a blessing. Everyone say blessing. Who's ever like met somebody maybe outside a church or inside the church? Don't look at them if they're here. But uh, they, they think that maybe giving is kind of like a loss. Like giving, like, you know, the church, maybe you're visiting here this morning, like, aha, I knew it. They're talking about money in church. <laughs> because sometimes we have that kind of tension where we think that if I've got X amount and I give some, then I'm left with less. And we see giving as, as a loss. But Jesus sees the harvest different to the way I see the harvest. Jesus sees giving differently to the way I see giving. And he calls it a blessing, not a curse. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35 Paul is saying goodbye to his friends at Ephesus. I'm not going to see you again. And as he's leaving, he says, don't forget the words of Jesus, who himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. More blessed. Who likes to receive? I love to receive, right? I love to receive. I love to receive coffee. That coffee I had this morning was awesome. I love to receive, you know, sunshine. I love to receive presents. I love to receive gifts. I love to receive I feel good. As a couple, two weeks ago, one of the girls in our church bought me this jacket. She says, you know, do you have a denim jacket? I said, no, good, because God told me to give you this one. I love to receive, right? Anybody with me? But Jesus actually said, as good as that feels, there's actually more blessing in being the one that gives. 
And as hard as it is, we've actually got to wrap our minds around the fact that either Jesus speaks the truth or he doesn't. Either I, I bend my thinking towards his truth or I choose to believe what I feel. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to actually say, well, it might feel right that receiving's better, but he speaks the truth. And so I'm going to bend my will towards his and accept that somehow giving is more blessed than receiving. And here's the thing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Give and it will be given to you. See, the reason why Jesus wants you to give is because so he can give. The reason why it's more blessed to be the one giving in the first place is because it results with being positioned in the place where Jesus can actually bless you with the more than. It's more than. It's more blessed to give than received. He says, give and it will be given to you. You see, I believe that giving releases the blessing of God on your life. Who's ever thought, who's ever, I've prayed a prayer like this, confession. God, just increase my finances and then I can give more. Anyone ever pray that? God, make me wealthy, then I can just finance the church or whatever it is. And it's like we pray a prayer where we want God to move first. He already has moved first on the cross. He gave his best so that we could respond to him. And often we can say, God, just increase my life and then I can increase my giving. But God says, increase your giving and by default, you'll increase your life. Give and it'll be given to you. We're often waiting for God to move first, but he already has. Give, and it will be given to you. When I asked, do you have any needs in your world right now? Like you need finances for something. You need to pay off a mortgage. You need to build a 1,200-seat auditorium. <laughs> you know, you need to finish a kid's building. You got rent to pay next week, food to put on the table, university fees to pay off. They'll be there for a while, <laughs> right? You see, when we've got a need, God says, give. God, I've got a need. Awesome. You start giving. Give, and it'll be given to you. We, uh, we used to own a house back in Anabay, and uh, we figured out this great little deal where we could just, before we had kids, shift into my parents' house over summer, because it's a bit of a tourist area where we are, and we could lease our house out. This was before Airbnb. I thought, this is brilliant. What I should have done was invent Airbnb. <laughs> that's that's big, bigger thinking, right? And so we leased the house out and uh, make a bit of extra money over summer. And, and after one summer, a family in our church didn't have anywhere to live. I said, well, we've already moved out. Why don't you just live in our house until you find somewhere? Don't pay us rent. It's fine. Just bless you. A couple and they had four kids. I said, well, just, you just stay there, it's fine. They were there for about four months and they moved out and that was cool. And uh, a little bit later, we ended up selling the house, made some good money. We were able to give a, a sizable offering in our vision builders that year. But not only did that family end up paying us back the rent they could have paid us, but we now live in a house that we've been told by the owners, you stay as long as you want, treat it as your own, and don't pay any rent ever. Give, and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down. Who knows that cup is running over, right? It's not the greatest house in the world, but it's free, <laughs> right? See, give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. I believe that if you've got a need, ah, oh, thank you, sir. That's awesome. Oh, I feel like pouring it out before the Lord. But I won't, because I don't want to wreck your stage. <laughs> give, and it will be given to you. Oh, there's coming from everywhere. Give. There's water. Water's coming into your life. There's lecterns coming into your life. In Jesus' name, I release the blessing. Hallelujah. Give, and it will be given to you. You just start to see why the Philippians might have actually pleaded for the favor of giving. They realized, give and give it, and it will be given to you. They thought, if we can just get in that offering, we're in poverty right now. We're in severe affliction. But if we can get in that offering, if I can just sow into that ministry, then if I give, it will be given to us. They understood this kingdom principle where God says, give and it will be given to you. It's more blessed. You'll be on the blessed end of the transaction if you give. This is why they begged for the favor of giving, not the responsibility of giving. They saw it as a favor. So number one, God is a giver. Number two, giving is a blessing, not a curse. And number three, generosity is the new default. Everyone say default. See, your default setting, who, is anyone a sanguine here? Clearly not, because they would have put their hand up way quicker than that. <laughs> you know, like, sometimes, sometimes. Your, your, your default personality is what you're like when you're not really thinking about it. You're just being you. But you come into a situation that's a little bit different, and you have to sort of think a little bit more to, to come out of your shell. If normally you're quiet, you have to try harder to be loud. Or if normally you're loud, you have to try really hard to be quiet, Right? You've got to control your default. But your default setting is simply what you are or who you are when you're not really thinking about it. It's, it's just your normal state, your baseline. You see, who's ever, you know the shopping centers, when you're, you're walking through the shops and you see one of those people, they've got a, a table behind them, a little bucket and a poster, and they stand like this, hi, hi, and you're trying to get that way, and they're like, hi, hi. <laughs> They just keep trying to get in front of you. Any, you have those in your shopping centers here? We have them. And you see the bucket. You know they're not really up for a conversation. They're just trying to get some money for their charity or, or whatever it is. And uh, who, whose default setting is to like eyeball them, walk straight up and say hi and pull your wallet out? Anybody? <laughs> I've never seen it happen. My default is usually like you see them up ahead and so you sort of you start texting or <laughs> you take a phone call or, or you find like a slower person and you sort of drift behind them for a bit, and then push them under the bus. <laughs> no, am I the only sinner? <laughs> right? We've all got a default setting. What's your default setting when, when the bucket's going around? Are you on the phone? Are you drifting behind the person in front of you? No, we've all got a default setting. And... The Philippians had an incredible default. Their default setting was to beg earnestly for the favor. Now, in Mark chapter 10, there's this story of a, a rich young ruler. Sounds pretty good, right? He's rich. He's got wealth. He's got influence. He's, he's young. He's got his health. 
probably. He's got his youth. You know, things are tight where they should be tight. <laughs> things are looking good where they should be looking good. And he's, and he's a ruler, a rich young ruler. He's got power. In these days, and even today, there's not really much else you'd want to add to the list, right? Rich, young, ruler. He probably thinks he's got everything. And he comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus responds, well, you know the law of Moses and the commands of Moses? He's like got his checklist, like, yep, tick the box, I do that, I do that, I do that. I've done it all since my youth. And Jesus, it says, he looks at him and loves him. He loves him. He loves him enough to tell him that there's something missing. He loves him enough not to just pat him on the back and say, good job, you're doing well. He loves him and says, you lack. He's got everything, but Jesus sees it differently. He sees the harvest differently to the way we see it. He sees generosity different to the way we see it. And he sees having everything very differently to the way we see it. This guy's got it all, and Jesus looks at him and the love of the Father is overwhelming him to the point where he has to speak. And he says, you lack. One thing you lack. And he pinpoints in this man's heart the fact that there's so many possessions being crammed in there that there's actually no room for God. There's no room for God. He says, I tell you what, I'm going to deal with the one thing that's, that's hindering a relationship with the Father. Get rid of all your stuff. Give it away. Sell it. Give it away and then follow me. Do you know how many times Jesus said to individual people, follow me in the, in the Gospels? I don't. <laughs> I thought someone else might. <laughs> it's not many. Peter, leave your nets, follow me. He left everything. James and John, leave your father in the boat, leave his retirement plan, and follow me. Zebedee gave more than they did, because he had to then work for the rest of his life, because his sons had left the business. He let them go. He sowed his kids into Jesus' ministry. Give everything and follow me. He was actually invited into Jesus' inner circle. Right? He wasn't just said, it wasn't just come in the crowd. He used the exact same phrase that he said to Peter. Follow me. I'll give you everything. You can have intimacy with me. By the way, I'm God. <laughs> right? And it says he went away very sorrowful because he had many possessions. He possessed a lot of things, but he didn't possess the one thing that really mattered, Christ. There were so many things in his heart, but there was zero room for Jesus. See, his default setting, the Philippians' default setting was to beg earnestly. His default setting was zero. How much can I have? Zero. How much will you give? Zero. Right? Very different to the widow in, uh, in Luke 21, Jesus is sitting at the treasury and, and people are giving their offerings. This, this little widow comes in with two copper coins and she throws it in. And most commentaries and historians will talk about the fact that the box she put it in was a box to finance the purchase of wood for the altar. Right? She sewed into the altar for fire in God's house. Right? She gave all she had to live on. And Jesus like, wow. He's gathering all of his people around saying, this woman gave more than all of the rest because she gave everything she had to live on. And we see two extremes. You've got the rich young ruler whose default setting is zero. You've got this, this widow whose default setting is everything, right? 
And I feel like in every moment of every day, we live somewhere in the middle. Some days it's everything. I've been there. Some days it's zero. I've been there. <laughs> and I think I'm edging slowly towards a, 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 a different default setting. So I want to ask you this morning, this is my message title, what's your default? What is your default? What is your default setting? I mentioned earlier we had to buy a new car for uh, getting a, a bigger family. And we were talking about it, and my daughter said, a five-year-old daughter said, Daddy, if you need any more money, you can have all the money in my money box. I was like, oh, that's lovely. I put that there. <laughs> it's actually already mine. God, you can have an offering. Oh, that's lovely, says the, says the father. I put that there. It's already mine. See, the tithe, you don't give your tithe. You bring it back. Leviticus says that, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Right. You can't give something you don't own. You just return it to its proper owner, right? So what is your default? You see, I, I wanted to, to, to say to God, well, God, I want my default to worship you. I want my default to be a, a, an overflow of love. I want my default to, to never be on zero because that's what the entire book of Malachi is about, right? Their default had slipped back to zero, and God said, that's not on. The tithe was introduced so that they would have a default of worship. So at the very worst, they would slide back to a position of worship, right? The tithe was there to protect them from dishonor, and that's what they slipped into. You know, uh, just to throw an extra scripture out for you, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, uh, you know, to the Pharisees, you tithe your mint, cumin, dill, and your spices, but you neglect the weightier things of the law faithfulness, mercy, justice. People who think that the tithe is Old Testament, I wonder if they think faithfulness, mercy, and justice is Old Testament. He wasn't correcting them about practicing the law. He was rebuking them about neglecting principles of the kingdom. The tithe is not a law. It's a principle. That's why Abraham tithed. That's why Jacob tithed. And then God said, that's a good idea. Let's put it in writing, Right? But I wanted, to, I wanted to not just let my tithe be my default. So God, what should my default be? And I came to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. He said, believe that God wants my default setting to be generous. That at the, on my worst day, when I'm feeling unspiritual, when I'm totally in my flesh, the worst I want to fall back to is generosity. I don't want to go any past that. I want generosity to be my new default. Because I believe God gives from a generous default. Yeah? Anyone believe that? God's giving is generous. God's giving is extreme. It's extravagant. If I give a little, he'll give a full measure pressed down running over. His giving is generous. And so I want my giving to be generous. I want it to be overflowing. I want my default setting to guard my heart from dishonor and propel me into a position of worship and honor towards the one who died for me. I want my giving to have a default of generosity. And so I prayed, my wife and I, we talked about it, we prayed about it and said, well, God, what is my default? When there's, a, when there's a guest speaker in our church, we have a lot of guest speakers in our church and we take up offerings for them. What's my default? Right. If I'm asking the question, will I give, 
what I'm saying is, will I give above my default? If I say, will I give, I'm showing that my default is zero. Yeah? Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, (laughs) ouch. I want to get over here somewhere. What does generosity look like for me? Well, for us at that moment, in that season of our life, it was $100. $100 every time there's an offering, above a tithe. Every time there was a a guest speaker, every time that there was a mission that we wanted to support, every time a family in the church had a need that we could sow into, every every time there's an offering at Presence Conference, who knows, I need a savings plan for that, right? It's serious. I plan my offerings for Presence because I know they're coming, and I don't want to fall back from my default. So I plan for it. I plan for it. You know, maybe for you today, it's going to be different. Maybe for you, $100 is, you know, pocket change. Maybe it's out of your mind. Maybe your default's got extra zeros. Maybe it's got less zeros. The amount doesn't matter. See, God doesn't prescribe an amount, but he does prescribe a posture. Is the posture of your heart generous towards me? That's what he's looking for. The Philippians got it. The Philippians had it, and they had it in buckets. They thought, if we, just, if we can get in on that offering from a posture of, of generosity, given it will be given, we'll actually become more like Jesus, we'll actually embody the love of God, our actions will testify to our belief that we believe in Jesus, they got it, they got it, and they wanted, they wanted their giving to be an act of worship. I want to close in a moment and invite Pastor Phil just to come and, and close. I want to read this scripture over us before we receive the offering from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 8. And really, this is a great summary. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully or generously will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Does anybody want to abound in every good work today? I believe the key that unlocks that opportunity is when we posture our hearts to be generous givers. Let me pray for us and then I'll invite Pastor Phil to come. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that you're a generous God that you're a God who gives without restraint, without restriction, that you gave your best when you gave us your son. I thank you that your giving wasn't just without purpose, but it carried so much significance in that you were bringing us, you were bringing us out of death and into life. You were extracting us out of a kingdom of darkness and bringing us into the light of your son through your giving. And that's the heart of us in your church. We wanna give so that other people can come home. We want to sow into the church so that other people have an opportunity to find a building where the gospel is being preached. Lord, we want to sow into your church so that when the people turn up into that building, that there's a PA system that they can hear the workers. How are they here unless someone preaches to them? And Lord, we want to sow into the things that are most close to your heart, the mission to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria with the message of the gospel. And so, Father, I thank you for every person in this room today, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to them as they ask themselves the honest question of what is my default. And I thank you, Lord, 
that you are able, well able, to make sure that they would have all things at all times to do everything that you've called them to do in this place and in their life in Jesus' name. And I ask for the grace of the Philippians to manifest in this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Phil. listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3telgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.